The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Journal Pick and Pop Podcast. Uh, this is Bill Koch here in our downtown Providence, Providence studios. Uh, my usual co-conspirator, Kevin McNamara, is on the West Coast with the Providence College Friars, uh, who are going to be playing shortly here against Charleston uh, in the Wooden Legacy. And so we went off the bench here uh, for the first time, I think, in podcast history. We are making podcast history here on this Black Friday. Uh, we brought in a, a good friend from WPRI, the CBS and, and Fox affiliate here in Providence. Maury Hirschgordon is with us. Maury, welcome. Bill, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Obviously, you know, very big fan of the Pick and Pop, Pop podcast. What the work that you and KMAC do, listen every week and and read all the columns and and gamers and such, and just uh, honored for you know to be coming in off the bench, filling in for KMAC, who's the czar of college hoops in the state. <laughs> he really is, and uh, just looking to have some fun and talk some hoops. Now, the the reason I've gone to Maury here uh, for folks who don't know Maury's background is is Maury is Philadelphia area guy, which means he was baptized into the group of five rivalries very early on uh, in his childhood and, and throughout his development uh, as a sports fan. Um, you know, and Maury, obviously you can speak better to those than I can, but, you know, all those games with Villanova and Temple and LaSalle and Penn and just the great college basketball in that area that, that you were brought up with. Oh, for sure. I mean, and, and it all starts at the Palestra, right? What, what better of a spot in the country to play college hoops than at the Palestra? And, um, you know, even from the high school ranks, you know, great grassroots basketball and and it builds right up through college and um, you know, just a great city that, that loves its hoops and I was kind of born and bred into that. Dad went to Temple, mom went to Penn, so there's some rivalries in the house there too <laughs> as well. Good. So uh yeah, no, it's 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 a great place to grow up, and and you know, hoops was one of the first loves, you know, growing up. Now, did mom win out or did dad win out? Who did you root for growing up? Uh, so actually, quick story: my dad grew up in so grew up in Philly, moved to Syracuse during his childhood. So we're actually pr- pretty big Orange fans. Okay, uh, still hold allegiance to Temple and Penn if we got a root for for a Philadelphia team. Uh, but it was dad that won. Uh, I mean, Temple was you know with John Chaney going to Elite sure. Eight, and you know, a lot a lot of URI fans are very familiar with Temple and and their success in the A-10. Uh, once Dumpf, though, got to Penn, kind of turned that program around, took them to NCAA tournaments. They were the class of the Ivy League for such a long time through the early 2000s, kind of the beginning eight, beginning parts of my life. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, I would say probably Dad had the upper hand in that rivalry. Yeah, Dunf would be Fran Dunphy for folks who don't know. Uh, the Philly way is sort of one name or a nickname. It, it's never a full name. Uh, John would be John Chaney. Phil would be Phil Martelli. Uh, Jay is Jay Wright, and the list goes on and on. And Fats is Fats Russell. <laughs> that is correct. Cat uh, would be Cat Mobley as exactly, well. Uh, yeah. One of the best exports to Rhode Island from Philadelphia. Uh, someone who was actually in a cab last year going to and from a game and brought up Fats Russell and said I covered Rhode Island and someone launched into a Catino Mobley rant. I was not expecting that, uh, but he's still obviously a, a big star there. Um, so tell us a little bit about your road uh, coming to Providence. How'd you end up here? Yeah, so I uh, went to college at Quinnipiac University, uh, right outside of uh, New Haven, Connecticut in Hamden. Uh, spent gr- four great years there, uh, covered hoops and, and covered everything in between, ice hockey and, and everything else. And then um, got my first job on my feet outside of Green Bay. Uh, in a place called Wausau, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, center of the state. So we're two hours north of Madison, three hours north of Milwaukee. So we're right in the dead center of the state. Uh, spent about a, uh, one year there, a little bit less than a year. Uh, got to cover 
uh, a U.S. Open at Aaron Hills when Brooks Kepka, you know, had that magical 17 under, <laughs> yeah, whatever sure. he finished with that year. Right. Uh, the Packers were okay that year. Rodgers broke his collarbone, so they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, but got to cover a Big Ten championship with the Badgers. Uh, football, you know, fa- going against Ohio State at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, so got some great experience there and then uh, came to Providence in it's almost two years now, June of 2018. Yep. Uh, and in a year and a half, there's been a Red Sox World World Championship. There's been a Patriots Super Bowl, and, and the Bruins were on the doorstep last spring. Um, so it's been uh, it's been been hectic, been crazy, you know, nonstop. But uh, that's that's the way we like it in sports. Yeah, and obviously, you you've come in at a good time for college basketball here uh, with URI coming off two NCAs and Providence coming off five. Um, which is where we'll start with the Friars, obviously. A uh, team that missed the NCAAs last year was thought that they were going to rebound and, and sort of waltz into March this season. And here in the early going, that hasn't necessarily been the case. Uh, the latest on Thursday, a 66-65 loss to Long Beach State, uh, a game that Kevin McNamara said in, in his coverage for Friday editions of the Journal was one of the worst losses of the Ed Cooley era. And you know, for folks who watch that thing play out, uh, Providence was up 17 in the second half. Ken Palm, uh, Ken Pomeroy, our friends at KenPalm.com, they give Long Beach State a 0.6% chance to win while trailing by 17 points with 16 minutes to go. But there they were at the end of the game. Michael Carter gets fouled shooting a three. He makes all three free throws. Providence doesn't have time to get off a desperation shot. And really just a a bad result for the Friars coming off a loss to Penn at home to go out to the Wooden Legacy and lose their first game just a, a nightmare result for them yeah no I mean you go out to the West Coast it's a team trip you want to pick up some wins some easy games you know at least on paper that we thought going in that they could pick up some wins um, you know they're coming off that tough loss against Penn at the dunk you know on that Saturday before Thanksgiving and and they go out there and just lay an egg. I mean, they, they played well for, for stretches of the game. You know, I like the way the Friars played in the first half, and they built up a big lead like you just mentioned in the second half. But just disappointing effort from a senior-laden group, a team with a lot of experience, a couple grad, you know, a couple graduate students, some seniors, some juniors that have had you know plenty of time to play here under Ed Cooley's system and, and learn the ropes. And, and to kind of fall flat in Game 1 was just a little disheartening. Still plenty of time, though, to, to play here in this season. They have two more games uh, out west, they're going to play College of Charleston in just a bit, um, and plenty of opportunities present itself. You know, the rest of the out of conference schedule as well as the Big East play. But you know, right now, just just a tough pill to swallow for the Friars, and um, you know, their season's at a, at a real turning point right now. You know, it can go one way or the other. Yeah, the thinking here obviously was Providence was on the good side of the bracket. They were looking at playing Long Beach, who was probably the worst team in the tournament on paper, uh, playing the winner of Wake Forest in Charleston. Uh, Wake Forest won that game. Whether or not they're at the bottom of the ACC doesn't matter. It would be a decent win on your schedule. Uh, and then obviously what they were hoping was to play Arizona in the final. Presumably they'll get through on the other side. That's a top 15 team right now. Uh, you're able to play them on a neutral court if you're able to beat them. That's a top 25-ish type win that's going to carry through the rest of the year. Instead, Providence is stuck playing Charleston, uh, who has one of the best mid major players in the country in Grant Riller, a terrific player who uh, should be on your radar come March Madness if Charleston's in the tournament. But, you know, just looking at Providence in this game, um, 
there are just some guys who, who are really struggling individually here, um, struggling to integrate themselves into this team and, and struggling to find roles. Um, you know, Luan Pipkins is four for 13 in this game. He's three for 10 from three. That's just way too many threes, uh, you know, on a team that should be a little more balanced. Uh, David Duke had a, a second sort of indifferent game in a row. He was three for nine, nine points. Uh, Alpha Diallo only took eight shots. You, you figure he's got to touch the ball a little bit more than that. Providence committed 21 turnovers in this game, which sort of speaks to the fact that they're not necessarily connecting very well on the floor. It, it was just, it was very disjointed. And even in the second half, when they had the comfortable lead, it didn't feel like the game was put to bed just yet. No, not at all. And, and you have this experienced backcourt in Alpha Diallo and, and Luan Pipkins. You bring him in from UMass as well as, you know, David Duke was a top 50 recruit. And you, you're just looking at the box score. Pipkins three turnovers, Diallo four turnovers. He's had a lot of issues, you know, with the ball mm. uh, in his hands, averaging about four turnovers a game. And, and David Duke with five. And you know, I like the way they, they started the season, but um, yeah, yesterday couldn't 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 take care of the ball, couldn't make free throws as well. You know, Diallo misses a, a key free throw down the stretch, uh, which which could have put the game out of reach with you know under thirty seconds to play. Um, yeah, it just looks like they're they're you know they're treading water a little bit right now. They they, they got to be able to you know let the let the training wheels off and and let this team kind of find its find its stride because this is a team that's long and athletic and this is a team that we expect to be good and I think Ed Cooley will right the ship eventually uh, as he always does. You know they'll, they'll be at that twenty twenty two win mark by the end of the season and and right right in the discussion for for an NCAA tournament bid. But you know earlier season struggles than we thought. Um, and still time to play. There, there's definitely, you know, to what you said there, there are two things that they have that any coach would want. They have talent. Yeah. It's not a lack of talent. That's not the issue on this team. Sometimes when you're a coach, you look down the bench and there just are no answers there. That's not the case here. The other thing Providence has is opportunity going forward. Uh, after Stony Brook on December 14th, they don't play another team currently outside of the top 100. Uh, according to Ken Palm, St. John's at 93 would be the worst team that Providence plays. Uh, the entire Big East is in the Ken Palm top 100. So for Providence, you're, you're looking at significant opportunity going forward. Uh, you can't write them off this early in the season, even though they have been disappointing uh, in their three losses. But you know, just looking inside their team, they've got internal issues to fix here. And, and I don't mean you know anything serious in terms of players not getting along or whatever else, but in terms of the chemistry on the floor, uh, you know, Pipkins is sort of playing the way that he played at UMass at times, which was he had the greenest of green lights. He was really one of two guys on that team who could make shots. He's got better teammates here. Uh, someone like A.J. Reeves, who came off the bench yesterday, played 12 minutes, was two for six from the field. Doesn't look like he has any confidence at all. That's a guy who was a top 50 recruit who started off really well last year, and they need him to play well. Um, Nate Watson only played 18 minutes off the bench, and, and you wonder, you know, that's the type of guy who seems capable of giving you 14 points and eight rebounds if he plays 25, 30 minutes a game. Uh, they opted to go in a different direction yesterday with Emmett Holt. Um, you know, you're also looking at, at Malik White, who went one for five from three against Long Beach State. Uh, you know He had shot the ball very well early in the year, uh, sort of regressed to the mean uh, yesterday. So, you know, Ed Cooley's got questions to answer, and I think the best part for Ed Cooley, the silver lining out of this, is that their internal questions to answer 
and that he does have some guys there who he should be able to find something with. Yeah, for sure. And I think that I think that has to start with with a player like AJ Reeves. He came out like gangbusters last year, and and you know lit the dunk on fire that that opening night. You'll never. F- you never forget that one with with six threes, seven threes, whatever he hit that night, and 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 it was great until you know he hit that injury midway through the season. Um, but I think AJ Reeves has got to be you know sort of a, a spark for this team coming off the bench. I still like him in, in somewhat of a starter role, but it seems based on the minutes that he's played this year that that the team and the coaching staff don't quite have the faith in him. I guess at, at this point, uh, even even despite that start that great start as as a freshman, um, but you know. Providence eight and two in his career when, when he's in double figures. He's got to get off more than three threes. You know, you, you've got playmakers on this team. Diallo's going to draw two guys when he's going right down the middle of the floor. David Duke's going to draw a couple guys, and 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 Lawan Pipkins is good enough, uh, you know, to dribble, drive, and kick out for for AJ Reeves. And I think a three point shooter, if you can get AJ to make you know two, three, maybe even four three pointers a game, it's going to expand the defense. It's going to make them play you know out to the key. Uh, and to the arc, and then I think it's then that can just open things up for penetration and for Nate Watson to find his rhythm down low. Uh, and one other thing, Bill, that I think you know, I think I think Ed could potentially tailor his lineup down a little bit. And what I, what I mean by that is, you know, you look at the the box score against Long Beach State, four guys off the bench. AJ Reeves, Greg Gant play the least amount of minutes at 12. So that's nine guys playing 12 minutes or more. You know, sometimes it's hard to find a rhythm there. You know, if you're going to full right. court press, and I know there's kind of been some chatter about that, how good it looked against Northwestern when they were down to come back, and how good it looked against Penn to make that rally in the second half. If you're going to full court pressure 40 minutes, I'm all for playing, you know, nine, 10 guys and, and really giving guys a chance. But when you're not going to be running guys like that and you're not really in foul trouble, I think seven or eight's got to be that, that, you know, that happy medium where, you know, guys are going to be able to find chemistry with each other on the court and be able to find a rhythm. Because playing guys here and there and coming in for two or three minutes, especially for a guy like I'm talking about, A.J. Reeves, he's got to find a flow in the game. Shooters can't come in cold off the bench and start checking up threes. It's hard to do. So, You're right. Yeah, it's hard to do, and and you know you make a good point. It, it's obviously early in the year. You know, coaches want to find what they have. Uh, you're only seven games in. You really don't want to cut your rotation. But Providence is going to hit a point here. Uh, if they don't necessarily get it done against Charleston, which they tip at about 4:30 this afternoon, uh, then they would play the winner of UCF and Pepperdine, I believe. Uh, winner or loser of that game, depending on how that shakes out. They're on that side of the bracket. Uh, two decent mid-major teams there. That game would be on Sunday. Um, I, I would have to say that you know Providence has to win those two games. They they need to win two games going into Rhode Island next week on Friday night. Uh, you know they need to build some confidence ahead of that trip to the Ryan Center because that's going to be an absolute snake pit. As you know, uh, URI fans get up for that game unlike any other. Uh, you know, and if Providence were to take another loss on the road, it doesn't get any easier from there. Stony Brook at home, then Florida on a neutral floor, then Texas. Uh, and then you jump into Big East play. So, you know, the Friars really, these next couple games in California, critical for them to build any sort of confidence going into the teeth of their schedule. No doubt. And, and I think that's something that, that you know, we'll get to them in, in a little bit, but I think that's something the Rams of URI have done well. They've beaten the teams that they were favored in. You know, going in, they've taken care of their business. Providence now has to do that the last two games of, of the Wooden Legacy out west. You know, they, they should beat a URI team. We'll get into that in a little bit. And, and uh, they should take care of Stony Brook, and then and then options present itself with Florida and Texas before Big East play. We will uh, transition to the Rams off that. Nice segue, Maury. Well done. Uh, 
Uh, Maury works in TV, so he's used to that sort of thing. Uh, the Rams coming off a 73-64 win over Manhattan at home. Uh, they will go to West Virginia this weekend. Their old Atlantic 10 rival, which seems odd to say, considering that you know they haven't really been in the same league for 20, 25 years. Um, and West Virginia has obviously gone on to the Big East and, and now in the Big 12. But you know the Rams, a, a good opportunity game there against the Mountaineers. It was a game that they won last year at Mohegan Sun. Uh, this was a neutral road agreement. Uh, URI's home game, in air quotes, was at Mohegan Sun. They had a great crowd there that day. And that was really, I would say, the first real highlight uh, of David Cox's tenure uh, with the Rams into his second year now, uh, that first season to be able to beat a Power Five team so early, uh, I think that was a, a really good validation of, of his hire. I, I would imagine that Thor Bjorn, the, the URI athletic director, felt really good watching that game that day. Uh, you know, and obviously now Rhode Island has a, a third game away from home. They've lost the first two against Maryland and against LSU. Third game against a Power Five foe uh, and a chance to to make a little noise here. No, definitely, and they've set themselves up well. Like like we said, you know, they've taken care of the teams they were favored in. They had to beat, um, and and I've you know been impressed with Dave Cox and, and the Rams. You know, this year taking a big step forward. There seems to be more defined roles. The the leadership is in place with Jeff Doughton and, and Fats Russell and Cyril Langevin, and, and and everybody else knows where they fit their piece in in kind of the whole puzzle. Um, you know, they haven't gotten trapped in a game ahead of an upcoming big game. And, and what I mean by that is you look at LIU, they took care of them opening night before Maryland. Mm-hmm. Nichols State before they went and played Alabama. Um, Manhattan before they go down to West Virginia. So, you know, they're taking care of the games they should. And now, you know, with a West Virginia and a Providence and a Western Kentucky team, you know, there's three, you know, great opportunities in front of them. You know, five games left in the out-of-conference for Rhodey. If they can take four of them, and I know we were talking about this, you know, before the show, um, but if that one loss can either be West Virginia or Providence, they'll have a chance. You know, they'll be in that discussion if they can get up, you know, to 13 or 14 wins in the Atlantic 10 regular season. Yeah, the, the A-10 has shown very well early on, uh, obviously what Dayton did in the Maui Invitational, uh, taking Kansas to overtime in the championship game. That, that was terrific. Uh, VCU's off to a good start. Uh, you know, and some of the teams lower in the league, uh, have played well. LaSalle has played pretty well. George Mason has played pretty well. Uh, so that sort of raises the floor on your conference games. There's not necessarily going to be a, a loss that throws a hand grenade into your schedule and ruins your metrics. Uh, you know, There's only a few of those teams right now in the A-10, whereas last year there might have been six or seven of those teams in the A-10. Uh, looking back at Manhattan, Rhode Island, um, you know, got pushed a little bit late. Uh, they they had a nice lead early in the second half, got a little tight toward the end, uh, and that's when Jeff Doughton took control of this game. Uh, I really liked the game that Jeff Doughton played the other night. I thought it was his best of the season. Uh, I thought it was actually one of his best in a long time. Uh, set new career highs in free throw attempts and free throw makes, um, which suggests that he was very aggressive, attacking, trying to get to the rim, had 24 points, had six rebounds in this game. Game. particularly at the end of the first half he had two real strong defensive rebounds and a block shot in about a six minute stretch where URI opened up the lead to 13 at halftime uh, and then Fats Russell again uh, before he was ejected and we can talk about that a little more uh, 20 points his fifth straight game with 20 points uh, the last URI player to do that was Will Daniels in the 2007-2008 season and for folks who watch Will Daniels he's about a 15-1600 point career scorer a guy who was a walking bucket um, when those two guys are playing well Maury 
you can see this team doing some things and being a little bit dangerous going forward. For sure, and, and that Jeff's game, to your point, you know, he's a, he's a big time slasher. At, he's a little bit bigger of a guard at six three, and he uses his body well. So when he can get into the paint and, and earn 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 foul shots, you know, it's so it's so key. He's he only took nine free throws in the six games leading up to that Manhattan game, and he blows it away with sixteen. That's not going to happen every single night. Uh, but if he can get to the line, you know, six to eight times a game, that's just an easy five to five to seven points that that the Rams can use. He sees the ball go through the hoop, and then he's been pretty efficient from the floor, you know, so to speak. He's had a couple, you know, off games as well, but you know, five for nine from the floor against Manhattan. You go to the Alabama game where he was nine for eleven from the floor. Mm. I want to see that aggressive nature out of Jeff, and and you know, that wasn't the role he had to play at the beginning of his career in Kingston because he had you know guys like EC Matthews and and the likes to uh, to to rein it from outside and and to finish off buckets down low. Uh, but you know, I think Jeff Jeff has this you know potential that he you know some untapped potential uh, that he hasn't you know necessarily, in my opinion, kind of fully taken advantage of on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and then he's got Fats Russell, who's seemingly taken a huge step from his his sophomore year to his junior year, and he's been ultra efficient. Uh, he's hit big time shots. He's made his free throws. I mean, the spike in free throw percentage for Fats Russell from seventy three percent to eighty six percent. Um, you know that's 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 a hallmark of a good team when when guards can shoot good free throws and, and make them at a high percentage and and that takes a lot of burden off the rest of the team. Yeah, you're looking at Jeff and you're thinking, can he be an alpha? You know, can he be that lead dog, that junkyard dog, that guy who says, "Give me the ball at the end." Yeah. Uh, you know, put me on the line. I'm going to make the two big free throws. We already know that Fats Russell can do that, and and I think we've seen you know the development in his game this season, uh, playing more of a point guard, but still being able to score. The other night he was seven for ten. He made his first five shots of the second half, and you know I don't know if you watched the game, Maury, but he he was making it look easy. Uh, I mean he had guys on skates off the dribble. He's making floaters off the glass. Uh, you know short jump shots in the lane, um, playing to the crowd. He, he he looks like a guy. He's like the opposite of AJ Reeves at this point. You can just see the confidence flowing out of this guy, and and you know he looks sort of unleashed in a way. Like last year, he, you know, Fats really struggled from the field. He probably took way too many three pointers, uh, settled a lot, and and really didn't get comfortable at any extended point last year through five or six games until the end of the season when he had that outburst against St. Joe's and, and played really well during the six-game winning streak. And I think he sort of carried that over into his junior year. And, and you look at this guy and you think his energy going through that roster and, and through that building at the Ryan Center, that really lifts these guys to a different level. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's 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 contagious. And, and you know, he's always pumping the crowd up and pumping his team up. And, and it's just part of the maturation process. You know, a lot of people were, were on Fats' case Last year, and rightfully so, he didn't have he didn't have a great year that I'm sure he expected, or David Cox and the rest of the program expected. But it just looks like he's you know taking a big deep breath. The game has slowed down for him. Uh, another thing I want to point out is is he leads the nation in steals per game at three and a half. Mm. So he's starting on the defensive end, and he's getting out in transition, and he's getting easy buckets. He's getting to the line, and when you see the ball go through the hoop, you get an easy layup in transition. That gets your legs under you, and you shoot with more confidence. And then I think it's all a trickle down effect after there. Uh, West Virginia coming into this one. They're 6-0. and uh, The best wins on their schedule, they beat Pittsburgh. Uh, Northern Iowa, they had to come from behind in the second half to beat Northern Iowa. Uh, and then on Wednesday, they took care of Wichita State by 12. Those are all top 100 teams. Um, you know, And you would think that this looks much more like 
the typical Bob Huggins type team. Uh, you look at their their numbers. Uh, opponents shooting just twenty five percent from three, forty one percent from two. Both of those are top thirty marks in the nation. Uh, Derek Culver looks like a star in the making here. Uh, they've also got five star freshman big guy Oscar Shibwe. Uh, excuse me on the pronunciation. Not quite sure that's it, but we hope so. Uh, also have some big-time athletes, Aaron Emmett Matthews and, and Miles McBride, freshman guard. Uh, so this is maybe a little more typical West Virginia team than last year, what we saw. Uh, that team at Mohegan Sun was going the other way. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at Sagaba Kanate sat out that game and, and really didn't play much the rest of the year. Uh, maybe there was an injury there. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe he was protecting his professional stock. Uh, that was a big point of contention last year in that program. Asa Ahmad really didn't do much in that game. Uh, James Bolden, who has since transferred to Alabama, really did not have a good game here uh, with the Crimson Tide. Didn't have a good game against URI last year either. So, you know, a real good chance here for Rhodey, uh, but a much improved West Virginia team that they're going to be playing on Sunday. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, there's some similarities between LSU, the team they, they just faced in, in Jamaica, in terms of the length and the size and, you know, just the, that power five athleticism. But, you know, Rhodey clearly showed that they can hang with these with these teams. And Cyril Langevine had a really great game against LSU, efficient in the paint, getting easy looks, you know, off of his guards. And, and I think it's going to start with him down low. Uh, when, when you face these power five opponents, if you if you have you know interior presence that can hold their own and, and can also impact the game on both ends of the floor, it 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 calms the rest of your team down and, and it also gives them confidence as well uh, to play well. But yeah, this West Virginia team, Bill, you know, similar to Rhodey last year in terms of took a little while to kind of get their footing, young team, new roles. If you remember, they made that really good run in the Big 12 tournament mm-hmm. as a 10 seed out of you know 11 or 12 teams in the Big 12. Right. They got all the way to the semifinals and pushed Kansas to the brink. So similar to Rhodey's six-game winning streak at the end of the season last year and how Rhodey has started the season well, I think that's kind of the same thing we're seeing with West Virginia. So I think it should be two really two it's two two teams that obviously you know want a big time win um, you know on a Sunday to to start December off on the right foot and 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 to close their out of conference schedule strong. So I think it's going to be a good game and Rhodey's going to have to play zero to 40 because you know anything less you, you won't you won't escape Morgantown with a win and one last note on, on URI we expect Fats Russell to be available uh, an Atlantic 10 official told me that Fats will not be suspended uh, after being ejected against Manhattan uh picked up two technical fouls within nine seconds in the second half, was thrown out of the game with 6.08 to play. Uh, Evan Burrows administered both, uh, the referee. And, you know, the first one I could see, uh, you know, there was a, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of verbals there, you know, maybe sort of give him a warning, give him a technical foul, sort of say, hey, cut it out. The second one shocked me. Uh, Jeff Doughton had just made a three-pointer, and and Fats was sort of gesturing to the crowd, and uh, the TV replays caught him locking eyes very briefly with Evan Burrows, the referee. Um, But it didn't seem like there was anything malicious there. It it, it seemed a bit of an overreaction from my point of view. Uh, I was very surprised that he was thrown out, and and obviously your mind goes to, is he going to be suspended for this? Is there any sort of supplemental discipline? from this. Uh, the Atlantic 10 has said no, so we expect him to be out there on Sunday. Uh, but a very strange moment in, in what was otherwise a good night for URI. For sure. No, I mean, it's a confident group uh, that, that David Cox has and an experienced group, but one that's not too showy. You know, they play with, with their heart on their sleeve at times, and, and like you mentioned earlier, they like to, to get the Ryan Center crowd going. Uh, but I don't think, you know, any disrespect or, or any, um, you know, malintent 
um, you know, from from some of these roadie players. And and I, I agree. The first technical is to kind of squash the bug, and mm. to throw the the second technical, you've got to be pretty confident uh, that what the player is doing is 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 wrong. Yeah, it was it was pretty quick and, and very surprising. Uh, you know, but hopefully we'll see Fats out there on Sunday. We expect him to. Um, you know, before that we we have uh, you know a couple other locals in action. Brown will be back uh, at it on Saturday. Uh, they host Navy at four o'clock at the Pizzatola Center. I think I'll be at that one actually. I think I'll be there too. Have to look at my schedule. Uh, Brown is coming off uh, a loss uh, at UMass Lowell, seventy five sixty three. A game that. You know, on paper, you might have expected them to win going into the year, and then you find out that Brandon Anderson, their leading scorer, did not play. Uh, undisclosed injury, not certain what that is. Uh, we'll try to learn more about that ahead of Saturday. Uh, but predictably, Maury, without Brandon Anderson, they struggled. No. Uh, eight assists, 20 turnovers in the game, three guys in double figures. Uh, Dan Friday, the freshman from Detroit, uh, had 13 points, but it took him 12 shots to get there. Um, you know, struggled a bit from the field, had five turnovers in the game. Um, you can see that Brown, without Anderson, who's been really good to this point, is a guard short. And it's going to show up on the road against a team like Lowell, who plays pretty hard. Uh, they were sort of in position to get picked off the other night, and they did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when Brandon Anderson doesn't play, that's more than 24 points. That's that's not in your lineup. I didn't realize fifth in the country though, which is which is awfully high. You know, if he continues that, I think he's got a shot at the Ivy League Player of the Year. Um, but like you mentioned, you know, they're a little short in terms of depth off the bench. I really like this kid, Dan Friday. He's, he's sort mm. of sort of a, a Jacob Toppin esque. He's got a little bit more of a of a bigger body, defined body, um, big broad shoulders. Had a had a great chase down block in, in their last home game. Uh, but if Dan Friday can kind of mature quickly by the Ivy League schedule, I think that gives them a really good third piece off the bench. Uh, you know, to spell Brandon Anderson and, and Hunsinger as well, the two starting guards for Brown. Um, you know, and one other big thing, I think I think this this program that Mike Martin is building, um, you know, has taken another step. You know, this is going to be a team that's going to be up around the twenty win mark yet again. Um, you know, I see them taking care of business against Navy at home, and the team that plays well at home, uh, the Brown Bears, and then they. Have a good Merrimack game coming up, and and as well as Stony Brook before some tests against St. John's and Duke. Uh, but seven, eight, nine, you know, maybe ten wins after the after the out of conference play is the benchmark for this Brown Bears team now. And and I think you know if this junior and senior class for Brown can can get this program to the to an Ivy League playoff. And I know I'm looking you know far down the road, but sure. you know that's that's a feather in the cap for this program who you know has a 20 win season on its belt. They've got a win at San Diego State last year, which which was a great win, and a postseason win. You know, so if, you know it's just continuing to 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 build the blocks for this Brown program going forward, and 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 hopefully they get Brandon Anderson back on Saturday because he's the he's their best player and he's the most important. Yep, that's the next level. That's the next thing that Brown is looking at to sort of break into that top four: Harvard, Yale, Penn, and Princeton. Very formidable programs. Uh, you know, teams that seem to be there every year. Uh, it's difficult for that next group. Brown, Columbia, Dartmouth, and Cornell to break into that top four. Uh, Cornell has done it most recently. Uh, I know they went to the NCAA tournament when Steve Donahue was there before he went to Boston College. But it is hard to to try and play against programs with tradition like that who are able to recruit from areas like that, whether it be Philadelphia or New Jersey. Um, you know, Harvard, obviously, with Tommy Amaker there, has been able to pull in top 100 players. Uh, he's selling a four-year commitment for 40 years of your life. Uh, you know, you graduate with that Ivy League degree and, and things can happen. Um, and it's obviously been able to pull in talent 
like Seth Towns and, and Chris Lewis and you know a few other guys there. Um, Bryant will also play Navy next. Uh, that's going to be on Monday at uh, the Chase Center. Uh, Bryant also coming off a loss, 87-76 against New Hampshire in overtime on the road. Uh, they got outscored 13-2 to in overtime. I, I think it was a case of Bryant just running out of gas a little bit there. Uh, had to give great effort uh, to come back from a 14-point deficit in the second half. Adam Grant had a really good night, 29 points. Uh, you know, that's the type of thing that you would expect from him. Uh, the, his supporting cast, not necessarily as helpful there um you're looking at freshmen playing on the road they started three of them uh charles pride was three for three for 11 in the game my math is terrible uh benson lynn was three for nine and michael green was three for ten so you're looking at three freshmen who are obviously going to be a big part of this going forward and, and three guys who jared grasso really likes but you can look and say oh it's only new hampshire and you know they're not very good and whatever it's still a road game. It's still different for these guys. It, they're learning on the job here um, and just couldn't quite get it done the other night. No, uh, but, but I think some of these close games down the road are going to pay off. Uh, you know, they had, that, they had that great, great, great opener against Brown uh, where the chase was packed and, and that came down to one of the final possessions. And they also were on the road against the Big Ten squad and Rutgers and had a great look to win. Uh, and the UNH, you know, game. So those were three kind of tight games where they lost. But then they also beat Cornell at home in a tight game. So I think, you know, like you mentioned, with, with a senior and Adam Grant that's leading the way and, and three good freshman guards who, who have shown flashes, even though we're only eight games into the season and one month in to the 2019-2020 season you know they've got the experience and, and they're starting to lay the bricks as well to a good season and, and you throw in a guy like Patrick Harding who's one of the top rebounders in the nation mm. it's a lot of four guard around one big in the NEC and uh, and you have your top dog in Grant the freshmen are going to be able to fill in spots and, and Bryant's going to be able to hit the road I think they've got a shot to finish a little higher than sixth like they were in the in the NEC preseason poll uh, I can in Nduba with 16 points off the bench in that game as well he was six for 11 from the field uh if he's going to be able to come off the bench and be their sixth man, that's real good scoring to come off and, and a guy who can handle the ball as well. Uh, I think the most important thing for Brian, and, and you sort of alluded to it there, is you can see where this is going. It's not necessarily where it's at right now, but you can see where this is going maybe by the end of this year or at the start of next year. You can see the trajectory that Jared Grasso has them on, um, and, and it's a positive one. And it's the fact that they're in these games and they're playing close, whether it's home or away, against teams who are probably expected to beat them. Uh, Rutgers certainly expected to beat them, a, a team in the Big Ten. Uh, so you can see Bryant with a little maturity maybe later in the year going into next year, you could see the sort of team, the sort of program that, that Jared Grasso is trying to build and who they hope to be. For sure, and, and I think we're going to know who this Bryant team is you know, by the end of January. Five of their six NEC games, their, their first six games are at home, mm. uh, and they only road trips to Merrimack, which is which is a short bus ride you know, up to Massachusetts. So you know, w- w- with three young players gaining experience, the confidence that Jared Grasso breeds, and, and a senior guard in Adam Grant, uh, they definitely yeah can take those can can take those steps and and move forward. And, and this is a Brian team that's maybe a little bit ahead of schedule, I think, than than most people expected. Maury, we'll finish off with. Uh Sort of a question that I didn't expect to be asking here before December, uh, but I think you, you sort of have to here. Who wants to be number one? 
cool. because this is a this has been a wild start nationally to college basketball. Uh, we've had three different teams at number one already, and next week we're almost certainly going to have a fourth. Uh, Michigan State, the preseason number one, they lose in in the Champions Classic, which no shame in that. But then they lose to Virginia Tech in Maui. Two losses already before December. Kentucky goes to number one. They lose at home to Evansville uh, and Walter McCarty, the former Celtic, the former Kentucky great, uh, in an absolute shocker. Uh, so number one goes to Duke, and you think, well, Duke's fine, right? Duke loses at home in overtime to Stephen F. Austin, uh, a great game. I don't know if you caught the end of that. Uh, on a last-second layup by Nathan Bain, Duke had won 150 straight non-conference home games. Uh, their last loss was to St. John's, I believe, in 2000. So you're looking at next week, Louisville's number two. You would expect that they get bumped up to number one, provided that they don't lose at some point this weekend. But do they really want it? Uh, I mean, this—it's just been bizarre so far. Yeah, there's—I would say there's about twelve to fifteen teams, uh, you know, that could that could all be ranked number one, depending on, you know, how well they they put together their team and and how well they play during certain stretches of the season. I still think, you know, some of the blue bloods like your Carolinas and your Kansases and your Dukes—they'll figure it out. They always do uh, with, with the leadership. And the coaches, the coaching staffs that they have, but yeah, it's been a rocky start. But you know that's what we love, I think, in college basketball. That you know you hit the floor and and anybody can play anybody, and it doesn't matter if you lose a bye game at home or, or you go on the road to a to a mid major program and, and and you lose or it's a tight game because you know there there's so, so many so many players you know. There's the, the top end talent is obviously a little bit better than than the mid major level, but the athleticism and I think you know um, you know some of the some of the raw ability between between the the players and the different levels I think kind of all evens itself out when you're on the floor and and um, yeah so I think I think we'll see I think it's going to be you know there's going to be a new team I think every couple weeks um, throughout the season yeah you're looking at Duke and obviously you know Duke much like Kentucky now is playing these sort of one and done freshmen uh, it's difficult for guys like Vernon Carey and Cassius Stanley who are going to be NBA pros and high draft picks it's difficult for them to be in spots like that against Stephen F. Austin uh, you know even if it's at home they're not necessarily used to playing tight games at the end uh, you know you go to Duke and you think it's Stephen F. Austin we're probably 15 points ahead before we even get on the floor um, but you look at what happens in the second half with Duke turning the ball over. I think they missed 16 free throws in the game. Um, had over 20 turnovers in the game. And you're looking at a team who you let hang around, who's a little older, whose program identity under Brad Underwood and, and now you know going forward is sort of to be tough and to be gritty and to feel like they have a chance against Duke. And, and when they actually do in the last four minutes, strange things can happen on the floor. And we saw it happen at the end of regulation and then in overtime. Stephen F. Austin won the overtime. I think it was 4-2. to two. That was it. There was no scoring. You, you could see how tight and how desperate both teams were, and that doesn't necessarily happen to Duke very often. And got to give credit where credit's due, and, and you've laid it out. This is a Stephen F. Austin team, you know, that's that's won their their conference and has won games in NCAA tournaments, and and has should have won games in NCAA tournaments. That Texas game comes to mind a couple of years back. Mm. Um, but yeah, no credit to them to go into Cameron Indoor and, and to knock off number one undefeated Coach K Duke. I could go on and on and on. Just just a tribute to their program. Yeah, Kyle Keller, great job to him. Uh, Stephen F. Austin's coach who took over for Underwood. Uh, also, a great story about Nathan Bain in that game. Uh, native of the Bahamas, 
Hurt's family uh, runs a church in the Bahamas. They were wiped out by Hurricane Dorian. Uh, the school, Stephen F. Austin, set up a GoFundMe account for Nathan Bain. It had about $2,000 in it prior to the Duke game. Last I checked, it's over $125,000 uh, that people have donated within the last 48 hours. Uh, I think it was Pat Forty who writes for Sports Illustrated. He made a great joke on Twitter. He said, uh, people are monetizing hatred for Duke at this point, uh, but if it's benefiting Nathan Bain and, and his family, then I'm all for it. Um, but but you could just see the the power of the upset in college basketball, the game that we all look for in March, that that sort of double digit seed who can somehow come out of nowhere and, and beat you know a top seed, a, a number two seed, a number three seed. It's a very romantic notion. And if the entire season plays out like this into March Madness, we're going to have one heck of an NCAA tournament. Don't even don't even try to fill out a bracket or, or predict who's going to be in, in a Sweet 16 or a Final Four because seemingly, I think, you know, if you're a top even, you know, say 12 or 13 seed in the NCAA tournament, you've got a shot to, to make a big time run. All right, so we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, Maury, again, I want to thank you for coming off the bench here, uh, you know, and subbing in for Kevin McNamara. He will be back next week uh, back from California and we will be previewing the in-state grudge match Rhode Island against Providence next Friday night Uh, folks enjoy the games hope it was a great Thanksgiving and we'll talk to you all soon